All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Man, it's been a full week of really plowing through the major prophets, specifically Isaiah. I mean, here you have what we're going to be getting into. Kevin, I can't even fathom just when we start taking a break on Isaiah, we just keep going. (laughs) We're going to get into Jeremiah. Uh, If you want to go to the Kings and the Prophets as well. Now we'll get into Ezekiel, we'll get into Daniel, uh, and then we'll get into Lamentations. But all of these, really, you guys, it's really about judgment coming on people, sprinkle in some blessing, and by the way, get ready because he's coming back. It's probably a good, simple way. I, t- I know I oversimplified it, but that's really what's happening. Is Here you have the prophet Isaiah, and I, I keep walking through this, but you guys, uh, yesterday we talked about this in Isaiah uh, 28 and 29, and really it goes through Isaiah 33. You're going to have these oracles, these judgments. They're going to come specifically against Samaria, Jerusalem, and Assyria. Now, this is pretty typical because, you know, previously we've seen judgments come against other nations. We've seen judgment come against Judah. We've seen even just this don't fall into that trap mentality. And then ultimately judgment's going to come to the the whole earth. So when we begin to unpack uh, this process, again, Jerusalem, for some reason, keeps getting picked on as well in this process. (laughs) The Lord is rebuking Jerusalem because they have this tendency to want to go back to, oh, we should go back to the Egyptians. Kevin, what does that sound like? Uh, Let's see, Exodus. Oh, but why did you bring us here, Moses? I'd rather be back in slavery, at least where we had some food. We knew I was going to be taking place. Isaiah 30, verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children. This is the Lord's declaration. They carry out a plan, but not mine. That image of they carry out a plan, but not mine. You know what that means? It's not of God, not of the Holy Spirit. It's man-made, man-formed, man-gathered this wisdom from somewhere and said, you know, let's make an alliance, and it's against God's will, piling sin on top of sin. You know what I love about that phrase? You know when people are, uh, and maybe you've been in this place. Hopefully you're not in this place. It's okay, God can set you free from this. I'll just tell you that. But you know when you make one wrong decision? Like as kids sometimes, they make a decision, and then it leads to like one more decision. And then it leads to one more bad decision. And then by the end, it's like three sins, you know, or three lies that have just kept piling up. And you're just like, oh, I should have just stopped at the beginning. Why? Because it's done in flesh. It's exactly what happened with the folks from Jerusalem. They kept making sin after sin after sin. And it's just piling up. And these rebellious children, okay, in this context, possibly could have been Hezekiah's advisors. I mean, if you go back to uh, Isaiah, Kevin, the kings and the prophets, here you would have Isaiah speaking into the time frame of the kings. This is a list of all the kings. This is a list of the prophets, okay, in the southern kingdom. The advisors were speaking into Hezekiah. Hey, you should really trust the Egyptians. (laughs) Verse 2 says they set out to go down to Egypt without asking my advice. (laughs) Man, Lord. How many of us have ever done something without really seeking God's uh, direction? And then when you take the step, what do we usually do, Kevin? Then we blame him. 
Well, we blame him or we ask the Lord to bless it either way. If it goes bad, you blame him. But if it doesn't, you're waiting for something you ask to bless. And so it's kind of like this. Oh, I forgot to add. Ask God, God, could you now could you now bless this? And you didn't even seek his advice. And that's exactly what he's saying. Your advisors are pouring into Hezekiah. Hey, let's go down there. But you didn't even ask me in order to seek shelter under Pharaoh's protection. Like you think you're going to get protection from Pharaoh. You're going to take refuge in Egypt's shadow. Like I'm not good enough. You see example after example in the scriptures, Moses, Joshua, David, Jehoshaphat, all of these great men of God seeking out counsel. Hezekiah, what what are you what are you doing? In verse three, it says, but Pharaoh's protection will become your shame. In, In other words, as you've made this decision, it will bring your downfall and refuge in Egypt's shadow will be your Disgrace, And, you know, there's a couple languages here, but basically it's deep humiliation. You'd be completely humiliated for though his princess, princes are at zone and his messengers reach as far as Hanes. Um, everyone who will be ashamed, everyone will be ashamed because of a people who can't help. Uh, the Egyptians can't do anything about this. They're no benefit. They're no help. They're good for nothing but shame and reproach. And in fact, in verse 6, it says an oracle, a judgment about the animals of the Negev, the wilderness, through a land of trouble and distress, of lioness and lion, of viper and flying serpent. They carry their wealth on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who will not help them. You know, this is an interesting picture here of uh, like it's actually a traveling caravan, Kevin, from Jerusalem to Egypt. And what do they do, Kevin? They have treasures on the back of all these animals. And the treasures on the back of these animals on their way to Assyria. In fact, Kevin, if you can go up, throw up the map here. Think about this, you guys. I mean, this is the oracle. This is the judgment. Okay, here you are in Jerusalem, right? And then they're coming all the way into Assyria, right, Kevin? Why are they bringing money on the backs of animals, Kevin? Tribute. A tribute. I'm going to buy my protection right now, right? I'm going to buy my protection. In fact, though, Kevin, interesting enough, I mean, all of, all of this really, Kevin, is the Assyrian Empire, right? I mean, that's a fair statement. So the reality is, is they probably, they're coming down into Egypt. Wouldn't that be true? They're probably headed for Egypt to yes. pay tribute so the Assyrians wouldn't, wouldn't get them. Finish them off. Correct. I pointed up. I meant to point down. So even that right there shows we think we can almost like buy off our problems. It's like, well, if I bring my wealth and my finances, maybe this will get me out of the situation. And you watch the news today, yesterday or tomorrow. There's somebody always using their wealth to try to get out of a situation and it never works. It says in verse seven, by the way, the help that you're looking for, it's worthless. Egypt's help is completely worthless. Worthless. <laughs> look, look what it says at the end of verse 7. Therefore, I call her, okay, Rahab, another name for Egypt, Rahab who just sits. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, she's worthless. She's not going to help you. Rahab who just sits. Why would you want to go to a person who just sits? Uh, Nelson's commentary says that Rahab and Leviathan, we talked about Leviathan this week, are symbolic of the forces of evil in the universe that God will destroy, but we look to, to go to, don't we? 
crazy enough. In verse 8, Scripture continues on. Go now, write it on a tablet in their presence and inscribe it on a scroll. It will be for the future forever and ever. What an awesome picture of writing this thing down on a, on a, on a tablet. Did a couple studies here. The oldest writing tablet discovered so far dated was all the way back to 1350 B.C. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. Found in 1986. Uh, it was found in 1986 in a shipwreck off of the coast of Turkey. Okay, does that make sense? So the pri- earliest, long time ago, but the, the most previous findings that we've had was in 1986. Prior to this, prior to the oldest finding was 700 B.C. So you have an old finding of 700 B.C. and then you have one in 1986. How crazy is that? The point is, is that write it on a tablet and maybe, maybe somebody will find it. Verse 9, it says this, These people, they're rebellious people, deceptive children, children who do not want to obey the Lord's instructions. And they say to the seers, do not see. (laughs) And to the prophets, don't prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things, prophesy illusions. I mean, the reality is, is what they're saying is, is, look, I I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear anything, really. Just lie to me. Just lie to me and tell me only things that are, that sounds really good. I want you to, I love this line. I want you to prophesy illusions. You know what that means, Kevin? Make it up. Get out of the way. Leave the pathway. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Holy One of Israel says this, because you have rejected this message and have trusted in oppression and deceit. So people of Jerusalem, that's who he's talking to, right? Because you have rejected what I'm saying to you through my prophet Isaiah. You've trusted in oppression and deceit. You've depended upon the Egyptians. You depended upon them. This iniquity of the sin of yours will be like a spreading breach, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come very suddenly. What an awesome picture, a powerful picture of like everything that you thought was protected. This fortress mentality, boom, it's going to collapse. And it, and it really does. In fact, it says its collapse will be like a shattering of a potter's jar, crushed to pieces so that not even a fragment of pottery will be found among its shattered remains. No fragment large enough to take fire from a hearth or scoop water from a cistern. In other words, it will be so shattered. You you see that picture here? It'll be so shattered. You can't even use anything to even get water. Little, little pieces. (laughs) Verse 15, it says, For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence, but you are not willing. You are not willing to have utter trust in me. You're finding strength in everybody else. You're finding strength in the Egyptians. Why won't you just find rest in me? Verse 15 is an interesting one. I want to just hang out here for a little bit. You know, verse 15 to me is, I think it's a period, even at time Revive, even with Revive School, says you'll be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. You know what this talks about? Waiting. Just waiting. But when we get, when we get antsy and we become restless, what do we do? When we become fearful, what do we do? We take actions and matters into our own hands. And so what do they, the, the folks from Jerusalem do? They, they go to Egypt. If we would only learn to what it means to, to rest in him, to wait on him, 
And I love this question that Nelson's commentary asked based on verse 15. What's the hurry? Like, what's the hurry? Why do you have to rush matters? Why can you not find your strength in lying down in quiet confidence in me, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel? Why can't you just rest in my presence? (laughs) We're always busy making plans, aren't we? We're always just trying to figure out like the next step. And I'm not saying you can't ask the Lord for direction. I'm not saying you can't seek counsel from other people. But don't do it to the point where you put horses uh, before you put the cart before horses. Just don't see that. And the problem is that's what happened with Jerusalem. God warned them to withstand the threats and not fret and just simply trust him. I like what Nelson says. Wise planning had value, but not to the point where it diminished your faith in him. But I think, Kevin, that's what we do. I think we say, well, we have to be good stewards, so let's plan out the next six months. Let's plan out the next year. Let's plan out the next three years. Instead, maybe maybe he just wants us to really trust him. Let's not get ahead. Let's not get in trouble because that's the warning that Isaiah brings forth. Yes, he brings forth to those in Jerusalem. I don't know, guys, you got any comments on this? I just keep thinking... They were definitely looking with their eyes and not trusting with their hearts. Because all they saw was the Assyrian Empire growing and coming for them. They're coming. So what do they do in verse 16? You see the horses coming. You say, no, we will escape on horses. Therefore, you will escape. This is a thought. We will ride on fast horses, but those who pursue you will be faster. In other words, guys, your plan's still not going to work. Because you feel like you're surrounded, uh, and you know, I love that song. I still love that song, Surrounded. You know, the Lord's going to fight your battle, right? But it's almost like, no, we're going to fight our battle. We're going to do this. Like, that's the mentality. Verse 17, 1,000 will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will flee until you alone remain like a solitary pole on a mountaintop or a banner on a hill. The point is, is basically one nation. The nation is literally, utterly going to be routed. It doesn't matter how many are coming. You're, I'm out. <laughs> There's no trust in this process. So here you have in verses 1 through 17, you guys, uh, complete condemnation for Jerusalem saying you're dependent upon Egypt. Stop. Just stop. But Kevin, you know what happens, right? Let's just, let's just go on here for a second. Here you have condemnation, right? That's usually something that the prophet delivers. But then, Kevin, what what usually happens with Isaiah? Uh, Hope. (laughs) Yeah. There's hope. There's promise. There's a blessing. Therefore, the Lord, because you're idiots, just kidding, doesn't say that, is waiting in me, in me, not just you, me. Like, it's all of us. I'm telling you guys, when we get antsy, we become stir-crazy. And then when we get stir-crazy, Rich, this is not a a knock on you, because I always say this to Rich, like, you get the jimmy legs, like when you sit there, you just like, right? Tony X knows what I'm talking about. You just, your legs keep moving. And to the point where when your legs keep moving, what do you do? You get up and you start doing something. And like, to me, like that's, that's been some of my problems sometimes. Like I want to naturally just, just jump in. But nah, man, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. He's rising up and is rising up to show you compassion for the Lord is a just God. All who, look at this, wait patiently for him are happy. Hey, how are you feeling today? I'm happy. 
What are you happy about? I'm patiently waiting. Right? I mean, that's what it is. After Revive School, guys, do we have any idea what this is going to look like? We've got no clue. When's the last time I, somebody said, how are you feeling today? I haven't said I'm happy in a long time. So I'm studying. <laughs> I'm patiently waiting for him, but I wouldn't describe it as happy. But that's what he says. When you have utter dependence upon me, if you're waiting on me, you're blessed. That's what the word is talking about. You're blessed. For you people who, you, for you people will live on Zion and Jerusalem and will never cry again. He'll show favor to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears, he will answer you. Now, I asked the Lord about some of this, Kevin. I mean, ultimately, we're, we're talking about, uh, I mean, ultimately, can you go back to the big picture, the, the prophets? Just run with me for a second here. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about this, right? Like there's captivity here, right? Eventually, they're going to be set free, right? Eventually, they're going to be set free. So this, this could be like the temporary, like the current situation. But to me, whenever I hear a phrase, never cry again, Kevin, that's only one time that's ever going to happen. And it's it's at the end. For you people will live on Zion, right? In Jerusalem, and you'll never cry again. And God's going to show favor you at the sound of your cry. When he hears, he will answer you. So when I read this text in Isaiah 30 about them learning to be patient, it, it goes back to this like, man, I've waited for you, and now I've got salvation, right? Remember this? I waited for you, and now I have salvation. So I want to go to Zechariah 12. I don't, Hang in here. This might be a stretch for some of you, but I just, I'm going to trust the Spirit of God on this. Zechariah 12, I think maybe Kevin, verse, verse 10. Yeah, look, look at this. Okay. In verse 18, I'm back. Kevin, I just I want to keep that there for a second. You don't need to go there, okay? In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, All who wait patiently for him are happy. And then it goes into verse 19, okay? Verse 19 says, For you, you will never cry again. And he'll show favor to you, look at this, at the sound of your cry. So look at that text. So if you'll never cry again, when you cry, there's going to be one, there's basically going to be one last cry, right? Would you agree? One last cry. When he hears, he'll answer you. Go to Zechariah 12, 10 now. It says, then I'll pour out my spirit, pour out a spirit of grace and a prayer in the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Sometimes I just I wonder is if here it is the, the the folks are crying out loud, right? We know this because when they cry out to the Lord, Kevin, what happens? They then Christ comes back. So you kind of have to wonder sometimes, how does Zechariah 12, 10, them crying out to the Lord, then fit into Isaiah? This is kind of interesting. If you go to Isaiah, Kevin, back to 31, verse 19, he says, you'll never cry again. So we know, okay, that the first part is after Zechariah 12, 10. We know that because there's no more mourning. But then he says, he'll show favor to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears, he'll answer you. So it's almost like when I cry out to you, God says, good. Now they actually get what they've done to me. Now I'm coming to them. Kind of a cool picture, Kevin. Any thoughts? It's like it's almost two pieces of <laughs> of the prophecy because it's Jesus coming the first time. Yeah. In the middle of it. Yep. But it's not completed. It's not completed yet. So here you have Isaiah and Zechariah. Can I prove all of this? I can't. But when you study this, man, it, there's something about that. You'll never cry again, but at the sound of your cry, I'm going to answer you. So you'll never cry again because I'm answering you. And it says, oh, my goodness, look what we've done. It says in verse 20, the Lord will give you. Look at this. Watch this build. 
The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression. So Kevin, during, again, you could take it a couple different ways. Again, you could take it, hey, you're going to get just barely make it. You're going to get bread and, wetter during, uh, bread and water during captivity, right? You could also say during tribulation, you could barely make it, but your teacher will not hide himself any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher. Again, are we talking about that? Or are we talking about the end? Like, to me, this is an unbelievable picture, you guys, of the end times and them crying out to the Lord. And then when they cry out to the Lord, guess what? Your teacher doesn't hide himself any longer. And all of a sudden, the eyes, their eyes actually begin, what? To begin to see who he is. Your teacher will not hide himself any longer. Look, you guys, when you study Romans 9, 10, and 11, I don't know how to put this. It's almost like Jesus is hiding himself from the Jews right now. How do I know? Well, I know there's a small percentage of Jews saying yes to Jesus, but the reality is that the Gentiles still have to hear about the gospel. The Gentiles still have to hear the nations. Uh, the Gentiles, excuse me, in the nations have to hear about the truth. And at some point, the Jews will cry out. At some point, they will cry out. And what happens? He's actually going to not hide himself any longer. Their hearts and their, so- their, their hearts and their minds will be opened and softened to the truth. Is this what he's talking about? It's a thought. And then in verse 21, it says, And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. So imagine this, you guys. They're crying out. They're actually recognizing who the teacher is. And now the teacher is telling them which way to go. I mean, think about all the, 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 the contrast of, you know, what this actually implies. Pri- pre- previously, people had been living in such a way that they were oblivious to, as what, uh, as what Nelson's commentary says, to their spiritual teachers. Now, they have the ultimate teacher. They're being taught by the Spirit of the living God. To me, I think this is one of the most unique pictures. And then as a result, in verse 22, then they start, uh, it says, then you will defile your silver-plated idols. You get rid of stuff, guys. Your golden-plated images, you'll throw them away like menstrual cloths and call them filth. And then in 23, then he'll send rain for your seed that you have sown in the ground and on the food, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plentiful. On that day, your cattle will graze in open pastures. The oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat salted fodder scattered with winnowing sho- uh, shovel and fork. Streams flowing, streams flowing with water will be on every high mountain and every raised hill on that day, on the day of great slaughter, when the towers fall. In other words, when there's a collapse of human pride, (laughs) you're going to see the magnitude of the coming salvation. When pride falls, you will see people turn to the Lord. And then in verse 26, I don't know how else to describe this. Nelson says it uh, beautifully about that magnitude of the coming salvation. Uh, in verse 26, it says, The moonlight will be as bright as the sunlight, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days on the day that the Lord bandages His people's injuries and heals the wounds He inflicted. Man. It's a pretty unique picture, you guys, of the end. Possibly even a picture of uh, the Battle of Armageddon, a part of that. Bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds he inflicted. Then he says in verse 27, look, you know, Yahweh comes from far away, his anger burning and heavy with smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a consuming fire. His breath is like an overflowing torrent that rises to the neck. He comes to sift the nations in a sieve of destruction and to put a bridle on the jaws of the peoples to lead them 
astray. Now watch, in 29, your singing will be like that on the night of a holy festival. Your heart will rejoice like one who walks to the music of a flute, going up to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel, to the, to the mighty one. And the Lord will make the splendor of his voice heard and reveal his arm striking in angry wrath and a flame of consuming fire and driving rain, a torrent and hailstones. And Assyria will be shattered by the voice of the Lord. He will strike with a rod. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord brings down on him will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. He will fight against him with a brand, brandished weapons. You know, just a, a thought of you, Tom, actually, because he says he's going to bring him down on uh, on him will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Like there are what's called soldier musicians. And here they are. They're ready to fight or play music on occasion when in demand. Uh, Tom, as you serve our nation in a, in a in a different way, not playing a tambourine, but you kind of have that same mentality. And it says in verse 33 to put all this together. Indeed. Topeth, south of Jerusalem, location has been ready for the king for a long time now. Its funeral pyre is deep and wide with plenty of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a torrent of brim stone, kindles it. You know, Topeth is a place where the valleys of Hinnom and Kidron meet. Okay, it's kind of where they come together. And it's probably a deep, wide pit, Nelson says this way, containing a bonfire of blazing wood where children at times have been burned to death as offerings to pagan deities. So hang on here, you guys. Topith, okay, became this place where children were sacrificed by Molech. It was defiled by Josiah and turned into a garbage dump at one point, and it was named Gehenna, Gehemma. The Valley of Son of Himam, Gehemam, Gehemma, excuse me, is another New Testament word for, for hell. <laughs> Guys, we just got done talking about like uh, Jerusalem turned to the Lord, correct? Jerusalem turned to the Lord. And then what do we hear? We hear that they cry. And then the next thing you know is they cry out to him. Then we hear about this battle that's taking place. And then this battle that's taking place, then we hear about where everything is going to come together at the end. And they're talking about all the sacrifice that's taking place, Kevin, and those that aren't walking. And then, Kevin, how is it described? Ultimately, Gehemma, which is hell. And then it's a funeral place, literally, for the king of Assyria, the garbage dump. Like, it's kind of like, Lord, what do you want me to focus on right now? But let me just say this, and I think this is, I, this is Kyle. Okay, just in my time of prayer, just this listening and, and watching as all this unfolds. Here you have the condemnation. Here you have the promise. And Kevin, we know that this promise then is, is that the crying stops, right? But they have to cry out first, correct? And then the crying, I'll just say stops. Oops. Crying stops. Then what happens? Then we hear, okay, there's this promise. We know, again, there's this constant judgment. But then we hear that there's going to be a battle that takes place. Correct? There's going to be a battle that takes place. And then we hear about this, this king that's thrown into fire and wood. And it's also known as, later on, as hell. <laughs> 
You can say, man, that this message is current, and this is Isaiah talking into the kings. Or you can say it's the first, but ultimately, you guys, the first time that he comes, Christ comes. But I think it's also a picture of the second time when he's coming back. And then I think it's a picture of you get into the tribulation, which then you get into the battle, and then you get into the lake of fire. That's a lot. And can I tell you 100% that that's true? I can't. I can just tell you, though, as a prophet, they help paint pictures figuratively and literally. What is what? I just I wanted to show to you what this could possibly look like. All right, guys, we didn't really even get to Isaiah 31. Uh, but Lord bless you. Please keep reading, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.